Have you ever noticed that there are people in the world, and maybe you're one of them, that when something happens in the world, it always is doom and gloom and there's no moving forward and, you know, this is the end. Things are changing and they're changing for the bad. We, we have a, a, a look toward the future as if God isn't in the future. God is in the future. God is in the past and God is in the right now. God has his hand on his church. But if his church could see what is happening in the world today, there would be hope, there would be joy, there would be faith, and we would be taking some action. And I want to remind you that the church doesn't exist to, to fight against things in the world because our battle is not against, come on, help me, flesh and blood our battle is spiritual but but for some reason the church overall in the last oh i would say 15 20 years has become an, an institution that fights against the people of this world and that is not christianity we do need to we do need to make our footprint a footprint for Christ on the earth. We do need to let our faith influence uh, everything that we think, say, and do. It should influence how we vote. But li listen, our, our faith is not in laws or governments or chariots or tanks or <laughs> nuclear bombs. Our faith is not in currency. Our faith is, is not in the established powers on the earth. Our faith is in God alone. Now, God may use all of those things to have his will come about in our life if we'll yield to him and in the world. But that our faith is not in the horse. Our faith is not in the chariot. So let's say it this way. Our faith is not in the jeep. Our faith is not in the missile. Our faith is not in the tank. It's not in the army. It's not in the power. It's not in the strength and power of our economy. I guarantee you that I know this about God. If you're trying to grow in God, once you start putting your faith in, 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 in the dollar, in the economy, guess, guess what area of your life is going to be tested? <laughs> if, you're, if your faith is in your influence, guess what area is going to be tested? But if your faith is in God, all of those things in your life should begin to grow. So that God can increase you, so he can increase your effectiveness in being an instrument of hope, an instrument of joy, an instrument that proclaims the word of God, that proclaims that God has made a way to have peace with mankind. So, so why does the church exist? Why do we exist? Why do we exist? Well, we exist, as we exist as a church, to help the next generations find the Lord Jesus Christ, to have a relationship with God, to discover what, what God created them to be, to be, to equip them and empower them to do it. Because if the church exists for all us old farts, the church is going to die. 
in 20 to 30 years. If the church is for all us old farts, the church is not going to exist, not in the measure that it does today. But we look at the next generation as if they're broken. We, we tend to look, come on, we tend to look at the next generation as if, as if there's something wrong with them, as, as, if, as if, what the heck, they're so rebellious, they're, they're, they're unfixable. They have, they're disrespectful. When the truth is they're searching for God. Can I get an amen? Every man, woman, and child on the earth is searching for God in one way, shape, or form. Because when God created every single human being, when they came onto the earth, they have, they have a God-sized hole in their heart. And the rest of their life, they spend, whether they know it or not, trying to fill that God-sized hole with something. I know I filled, I filled it with, with trying to be popular. I filled it with bodybuilding. I, I, filled, I tried to fill that hole w w with alcohol. I tried to fill that hole, that hole w w with, with women. I tried to fill that hole with business. I tried, I tried everything that I could, but it seemed to me that hole just got bigger and bigger. Now, guys, here's what I want you to hear about me, because it's the way a lot of the next generation is. I knew God from when I was little. I was called of God when I was little. But I didn't make Jesus the Lord of my life until I was 30 years old. I cried out to him as Savior, but I didn't make him the Lord of my life until I was 30. And oh my goodness, the ride since then has just been incredible. It's taken, it's taken me and Nija and, and parts of our family all across the world. It's, it's, we've seen God do such things. It's, 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 people don't believe it when we tell them what God has done. That, that's what the definition of incredible is. That people think it doesn't have, it's not credible, it's not believable. And God has done incredible, one th wonderful things. Wonder is, is an awe. You tell, you tell people what God has done, they go, wow. Oh, that's got to be a fairy tale. No, it's life with Christ. It's life following the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I'm telling you, this next generation, this next one that's coming, Generation Z, that's coming into the workforce, the first part of it is coming into the workforce now. And the generation that's following is going to be the greatest generation for revival that the world has ever, ever experienced. If we take off the bifocals of the old farks. If we quit looking through the lenses of the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, come on, we need to look through the, the we need to look through the lenses of 2075. And some of you, some of you say this, and I know, I know because there's a temptation. Well, Jesus is coming back. Well, guess what? Guess what the generation in the 20s said because the generation that was coming up in the 20s was wild and crazy and they were doing the jitterbug and they were just rebellious and drinking when nobody was supposed to be drinking. And, and they said, the Lord is coming soon, yeah? And in the, in the 50s, James Dean had that movie, what was it called? The Rebel Without a Cause. And, and the, the beatniks came out of that. And, and, and the, 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 the people, the, 
The old farts of that generation, I'm saying me, okay? They said, oh, the kids are rebellious. They're no good. They, they don't understand institution. They don't understand how you need to begin to conform to society. They don't understand honor. Oh, my goodness. And then the 60s and the 70s. And that generation, I mean, they experimented with marijuana and they experimented with hallucinogens and, and all kinds of weird stuff, trying to get spiritual and see things in a different way because they were searching for God and they were hippies. I remember my grandpa used to say, them, he didn't use the word darn, those darn hippies. And I, I didn't quite get it. That was in the 70s. But those hippies were a part of one of the greatest awakenings in the United States in the church, and that was the Jesus Revolution. There's a movie out that, about that right now that I encourage you to go see. This next generation sounds just like them. And I think the next generation will always seem like that to those who have grown and mature and should be used by God to help them find the Lord God and help them discover their purpose and to educate them and equip them and empower them to lead the world to Christ, to do good things, to make the world a better place. Listen to this. This is a quote. What is happening to our young people? They are disrespectful to their elders. They disobeyed their parents. They ignore the law. They riot in the streets. They, they are inflamed with wild notions and their morals are decaying. What is to become of them? That was written by Plato 4,000 years before Jesus came. Psalms 145 says, one generation commends your God your works to another. They, they tell of your mighty acts. Instead of proclaiming what we see as weakness in the next generation, let's begin to prophesy the strength and the power and the godliness that that generation will represent. They're no different than the generation 4,000 years before Jesus. They're, they're coming into their own. And they're seeing what we have developed. I'm an Xer. That's, that's a generation I'm part of. Pastor Lucas is a millennial. The next generation, which is, I think it's 19. I don't know. I'll have to tell you that later when I look in my notes. But it's a younger group. I think the oldest Zer is 26 years old. And the youngest is 10 right now. Well, they're looking at what you and I created. And they're saying, well, that may not be the way I want to live. That probably isn't the truth. We can improve upon that, just like you did with your mom and your dad and your grandparents, and they're throwing off restraint because they're trying to find a life that they can believe in. So we're tasked by God to say, this is what God has done in my life. This is what God did in the life of my grandparents. This is what God did in establishing these great United States of America. This is God, and this is how I experience him. 
So that generation will have that testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy to lead them into the following years. There should be a barcode up there you can scan right now, and you guys can get the text of this message, at least parts of it, to help you out with these quotes. Psalms 102, verse 18. Let this be written so the old farts can run with it. Now listen, I, I, okay, let's say, that. how else would you like me to describe, can I get some words? Older generation, me and above, how else would you describe them? Let's do the older people first. Give me, not, instead of old farts. Huh? Seasoned. Yeah. Sophisticated. Let's, okay, come on, more, more old farts. Come on, give it to me. What do we call ourselves? What, what should we refer to ourselves as? Alive. Wise. What else? I didn't hear. I'm talk- okay, now, now let's go to uh, any extras in here. What should we call the old people? In your, what you call them. Come on, now be honest. Extras, come on. Old-fashioned? Old, old school? Some, some even, it's kind of cool, say OG. Anybody else? Okay, now I want three millennials to tell me what you call old Old people. It's okay. Come on. Give it to me. I know. I know. Huh? Vintage. Vintage. Oh, oh you're, you're an Xer, dude. You don't know. You're a millennial? Are you serious? Wow. Jesus, help me. <laughs> Say that again. Self. Self? Help me out one more time. I didn't quite hit it. Old self? I'm, can you spell it? Old self. Okay, yeah, old soul, old self. Okay, now young people, come on, give, give, it, to me, give, give, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, come on. Old folks, it, come on, better. Give it sharper, sharper. I don't care, it's okay. As long as it does, it's, as long as it's not a cuss word. As long as it's not a cuss word, what's he telling you? Boomers? Well, boomers are the, I don't know if that means the same thing to you, but boomers are the generation above us. One more, one more, one more, one more. Well, I would, okay, let me put it in my words. Antiquated, out of touch, slow, religious, conformist, boring. You know, we have, my, my wife and I have seven kids. One is an Xer and three are generational Z, Gen, Gen Z. And, and we keep hearing this all the time. Well, you guys are just homebodies. And I want to say, well, don't you know why? Because we had to stay home with you six. <laughs> now we don't know what else to do. <laughs> Listen, the way that the young people see the next generation is no different than you saw your mom and dad. Than you saw the principal at your school. Then, I mean, we, you may have said we had more honor and we obeyed and we, yes. Uh, but you know it was in your heart. There's always that point where the next generation questions the older generation. I, I, had, I, I, I talk to parents all the time and they say, you know, I was ra- I'm a pastor and I raised my kids and they're just a stinking mess. What did I do wrong? And I said, nothing. Because they, they, they think it's about not making mistakes. It's not about not making mistakes. It's as a parent we guide them through mistakes. It's not about keeping them off the internet. I don't... 
It's about guiding them through the information that they're getting from the internet. Come on, it's about, it's not about, they don't even have to come to us to ask questions anymore. They can go to Google and they can ask any question that they want and they'll get a million answers. So we need to help them be able to disseminate that information and make good choices, not make the choices for them. Are you, are you hearing me? Let this be written for the future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. We're to be a church of legacy. We're to be a, listen, the church is to be looking beyond their generation. The Bible says that a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That would be his grandchildren. You know what? It doesn't matter how much money you leave them if you don't leave them God. Because they could be filthy rich and swimming in money like, uh, like Scrooge McDuck. And they could be miserable. But you give them peace. And you give them joy. That, and here's how they see it in your life. Please hear me. It's not because you're always peaceful and you're always joyful, but you're guiding them through the times when you're miserable and you're guiding them back. This is how I got back into a good relationship with God. This is how I, I received peace again. Yeah, daddy makes, dad makes, I don't say daddy anymore. Dad makes mistakes. A whole lot of them, right guys? I make a whole lot, but I walk them through them. I think one of the biggest things that we do as an older generation that hinders the next generation is we refuse to apologize. We repent silently to God, but we don't repent in front of our kids. Now, I've done that since, uh, since we, I'm telling you what, I, I believe with all my heart, as publicly as you sin, you should repent that publicly. If I repent privately, I need to repent and I need to confess it to somebody because forgiveness comes from confession to the Lord. But when we confess one to another, healing comes. And you can confess to God that you made a mistake and you shouldn't have blown up and you shouldn't have said that. But if you don't go back to your kids and say, I am sorry, I already talked to God about this, but I need to talk to you. That was a bad example. But see, this is how I got back in relationship with God. This is how I cleared that thing in my heart. I confessed it to him. I told him that I, what I did was wrong. I need to do it your way. Help me in the future. And then I go to the kids and I go to my wife and I say, listen, dad shouldn't have said that. Dad shouldn't have done that. Now, now again, don't look what I'm saying as if I'm perfect in that. I just try to do that more than I probably fail. I try. Got it? The next generation's need to know the Lord. They're searching for God. But because we see them as rebellious, because we see them as something that we weren't, because we see them as unsavable, they are, they're, they're searching things like Wicca and witchcraft and the occult, other religions, a religion that includes all faiths. They're, 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 they're coming, they're trying to come to God. But because of 
the way that we instruct them and the way that we equip them and the way that we empower them, they don't see it being used in their life. And so they're searching everywhere. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes into the Father except by me. There's no other way to God but by Jesus Christ. Every religion in the world claims that Jesus was somebody holy. Jesus claimed of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So everything points to Jesus. Can I get an amen? The young people of today think nothing but of themselves. They, they have no reverence for the parents of old age. They are impatient. All of restraint is gone. As for the girls, they are forward, they're immodest, they're unladylike in speech and behavior, and even the way they dress. This was Peter the hermit a thousand years before Christ. Peter was a, a theologian in, in the Catholic Church that, that was part during the Crusades. This was a thousand years before Jesus came. Oh my gosh, they're wearing tube tops. They don't wear bras anymore. It don't matter what you think about that. We're to guide them. You, 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 you put the disciplines in your family the way you feel that you should, but guide them to Jesus. Because remember, holiness isn't about how long your hair is. Holiness isn't about how long your dress is. Holiness isn't about, you know, wearing wool only. There was a time at the turn of the century that if you wore a tie in the holiness movement, you, you were wearing a serpent around your, tech, your neck and, and you were of the devil. There was a time at, at the turn of the century that, that, that if, your, if your dress didn't come all the way down to the bottom of your feet, that you were being um, open and inviting and you were considered, you know, the, a woman of ill repute. There, there, there was a time, even up until the 60s, where if you dance, you were, you, were, you were gyrating with Satan himself, and you were going to hell. There was a time in the 80s, I went to a Bible school, that if you went to a movie, you got kicked out. That if you wore sweatpants, I actually did get kicked out of this school because I wore sweatpants into the cafeteria and they tried to get me to go and I said, I don't know, the, what difference does it make if their jeans or if their sweatpants are covering everything? And, and I got asked to leave the school. Now in principle, I, I, I was right. But then I did sign that piece of paper. They said, this is how I'm going to conduct myself. So, you know, now looking back, I was, I was short-sighted. We're looking at this next generation in a way that every generation has looked at the youth and the young adults. Beatniks, hippies, druggies, zoned out, zeros, losers, never going to amount to anything if they keep going in that direction. That's not what God says. God says, that's, that's the hope of the world. I can use those people. 
They're just exactly where, where I want them. They're searching for me. Help them find me. Help them get to know me. Teach them how to follow me. That's why we say love, lead, teach. It's that simple. We love God. We love, we love people. We lead them to Jesus and we help them follow him. We teach them how to follow him. Not, not our rules, not our customs. Not the way that we think, not the way that we believe. Uh, please hear me, not the way that we vote. We can't value people because they, they don't think like us. We, if they think like us, we value them. If they don't think like us, we devalue them. Do you realize when you do that, please hear me, when we do that, we're alienating the very people that probably need the change the most, at least according to your values. See, what we like to do is we like to come together in groups with people that sin like us. But we don't want to come together in groups with people that sin different than us. Now, I'm not saying we should sin. But hold on, what can we come together under? What can we, what can we, we can come together under God through Jesus Christ. We can come together for the kingdom of God. We can come together to worship him. To lift him up. To, 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 to meet new people. To get them free from the bondages that they're, that they're involved in or that hold them. To lead them to Jesus. To baptize them and teach them. Empower them. And let them do what God has created them to do to change the world. Gen Generation Z can reach the world unlike any other generation ever has. My 10-year-old knows how to, 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 to do things on her iPhone that I still have no idea how. They can generate, they can reach. Our social media is, all of it is Generation Z led by a millennial. And, and we as a church and as a ministry are reaching several million people a week, getting about a half a million engagements. That means people responding back, leading people to Jesus every single day in 195 countries because of that generation and how well they know this little thing in their phone that yes, it may be hurting them in some areas, but we can turn that thing around because what the devil meant for bad, God can used for good and we can reach the world for Jesus Christ through that device and we've got some very good things coming that we're going to be able to announce pretty soon that is going to expand our reach Joel chapter 1 verse 3 if you have your, your Bible turn to that Now, this, this is talking about a plague of locusts, okay? And it's a judgment of God. But what the, what the prophet is saying is what God is doing, tell it to the next generations. Tell it to your children.
Whoa, he just... Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. That's God's plan. That we take this gospel and we spread it from one generation to the next generation, to the next generation, and to the one that is coming and hasn't even been born yet. I heard somebody say, uh, you know, when it comes to Jesus' return, we believe as if he's, and we, we act as if he's returning tomorrow. But we prepare as if he's not returning within our lifetime. So that is the hope and the faith balanced with the wisdom. We, we, we act, we conduct ourselves as if Jesus is returning tomorrow. If you knew Jesus was coming on Tuesday, what would you do? Today and tomorrow and all the way till Tuesday. What would you do? Well, we act like that. But in our planning, we're preparing as if he's not going to return in our lifetime. A person who's living for the return of Jesus is good. But a person, person who's living for the return of Jesus without wisdom is going to leave the next generation unprepared. And this next generation is full of potential. Now, Generation Z is the largest generation in the U.S. Now, you look at the stats and you may say, well, not exactly. It looks like millennials are just a little bit more. But you have to include the non-documented people, which is huge. And we're not going to talk about politics on that at all. The next generation, Generation Z, is larger than any other generation in history. Are you hearing me? They have the potential to connect more than any other generation has with every single, every single nation in the world. That means they have the potential to change the world unlike, unlike anything we've ever seen. When Pastor Nietzsche and I started in ministry, we started as evangelists to the nations. We went to 30 different nations. We preached to crowds as small as 300 people, to crowds as big as 60,000 in one night. We, we led me, a million people to the Lord. We trained thousands and thousands of pastors overseas. We built churches. We, built, we, we dug wells in front of those churches. We, we, we discipled people. We had devotionals translated in, in Telugu, in Hindi, in Urdu, in, in French, and in Spanish, and some tribal languages, and printed, and we put those out. We were, we were man, we were shaking the world for Jesus Christ. And then he called us here. And then COVID hit. And then we went online. And now we are reaching more people in one month than we reached in 12 years going overseas holding mass crusades. It, it, we are reaching more people in one week than we used to reach in an entire year doing mass crusades overseas. Are you hearing me? And if this wise, <laughs> elderly, aging man of God or preacher could do that, imagine what this next generation could do. Because they're not, they don't have to start all over again. They can take off. We can, as we pass the baton, 
It's going to be a 25-year pass, guys. We've got work to do. Because this next generation is ripe, and, and they are ready. So Generation Z is from 1997 to 2013, those, those born in the middle. Let me tell you what we've got, guys. This is why you get cringy, and I get cringy, okay? Okay, these guys are very, this next generation is very progressive. Now, politically, some of us go, whoa, that's bad stuff. But hold on, whoever said progress was bad? It's easier to move something in the right direction when it's moving. And we were all about changing the world when we were that age. I know you were all about changing the world when you were that age. Let them be all about changing the world. And let's begin to adjust it and help them navigate what is right and what is wrong. But they'll do that mostly by their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word. They're liberal. They're, half of, half, they're very liberal. Half of them approve of same-sex sex marriage. Now, I, I believe what's coming in regard to that is there's going to be a definition between what a, a, a marriage is, a covenant with God, and a civil union. I don't think we can stop the civil unions, but we can sure, we can sure make sure, we can make sure that what God is involved in is what he requires, what he says is acceptable. But we love those who don't know Jesus Christ. We love them into the church. We love them into a relationship. And through that relationship, we love them into an introduction to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we love them into training them and teaching them. Now, let, me, let me say, that sounds, that sounds that, that's antiquated. We guide them. See, when you say train, it's like a dog. You blow a whistle and, you know, he does this. You, you shock the collar if he doesn't do that. We're, we're not training them in that way. We're, we're guiding them through all of this information that they have available that you never had available. And we're, we're helping them see God, what God is in and what God isn't. And then they'll become alive and they'll discover what God created them to do and what God created them to be. Then the peace and the joy will come and they'll lead and guide others in the same. Generation Z. This next, gener this next generation is, it, it looks different. Did you know in Des Moines, in the Des Moines school systems, we have over 100 nations 100 different people groups who are first-generation Americans. A lot of them don't even speak English uh, fluently yet. Just down the street, we have 26 different nations represented right now at Edmonds and in Oak Ridge. 26 different nations. They're, 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 they're Indian. They're, they're African. They're, they're, they're Asian. Are you hearing me? As a matter of fact, Generation Z, 48% of Generation Z in the United States is not white. Oh God, I hope you get that. Because if you see a church in 20 years from now and it's all white, then something's going to be wrong with that church because it's going to die. Now, there's nothing wrong with being white. But there's something wrong with being all white. 
all right, let me, let me say it this way. I mean, being in groups that are all, all, all white. Not unless, unless you're in Cracker Town and, and that's all you got, then that's okay because then everybody's going to be all white wherever you go. Do you understand? It has to do with the population that you're in. And, the, and in, in, in the United States, especially in Des Moines, we have 30,000 people in Des Moines that speak Spanish only. How many Latinos do we have here? I see one. Because I know him. Puerto Rico. In your community, how, in your community, how many different nations are represented? In the church that you attend, how much of that population is is a reflection of the population of where you're from. Listen, the United States is changing. The world is changing. Whether it's good or bad, get over it. It's changing. In 10 years, the, 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 the youth are going to be 50% and above 51% will not be white. But then again, white has changed in America, and that's a whole different discussion because it used to be if you were Italian and Irish, you weren't white. Remember, how, I don't know if you guys remember how much flack was raised because an Irishman became the president of the United States in the 60s. 48% are non-white, 25% of Generation Z are Hispanic, 14% are black, 6% are Asian, and 5% are other. You, you may see something that's, that's scary to you. What I see is beauty. I see different cultures with different strengths. I, I see as they come together, we're finally becoming a whole. Because all of this earth belongs to God. And he created every man, woman, and child. And we all have the potential to become sons and daughters of God. And when we become sons and daughters of God, I don't care what your nationality is, your DNA is changed because the Spirit of God within you makes you a son of God, makes you a daughter of God, makes you my brother and makes you my sister. You're part of the church, my family, and we're to work together, not have subdivisions in our family. That, that, is the number one thing that we need to change about our vision of the future of the church. I've preached it for 25 years that the church that God sees is speckled. I didn't say white and black. It is speckled. Every hue, every bit of beauty from different cultures and it's not bringing in the people that are from the Congo and then getting them to walk, walk and talk and act and speak like we do. It's not about bringing people in from India and getting them to walk and talk and worship like we do. It's not about conformity in how we do things. It's conformity in who we worship. Oh man, this church is coming. It's going, it's going to be beautiful. So, so you, in, in, in this movie that I really want you to go see, it's called The Jesus Revolution. Now, it's not real entertaining, you know, like uh, the Star Wars movie or Black Panther or Wakanda Forever or anything like that, but it is good. And what you see is a little 
a little 1960, late 60s, white church, Baptist-y kind of church. And then there's all these, these people in ties and stuff and polyester suits on this side. And then on this side of the church, the hippies start coming in. So you got, you got the, the basic church and then you got the hippies. And I, and, and I remember one of the arguments that the, the guys had about the hippies coming is they, they're, coming in bare, they're coming in bare feet. And they're staining, our, they're, they're staining our new shag carpet. So the pastor stood out in front of the church, sat down in front of the church, and he washed everybody's, all the hippies' feet when they came in so they wouldn't stain the carpet. And then one Sunday, it, it, was, it was a very moving scene in the movie. On one Sunday, they got up, and he was saying, this is the life of the church. This is the future of the church. And, and the two biggest givers in the church stood up, and they said, well, if you're going to choose them, are you going to choose us? And he said, I'm going to choose the future. And they got up and walked out. And then one old guy got up, and he was going to walk out and sit. He went over, and he sat with the hippies. And from that movement, within a short period of time, came the greatest, probably the greatest awakening in America, spiritual awakening in America that has ever happened. And yeah, there were errors in it. Yeah, there was, there was, you know, greasy grace in it. And there was, you know, God's love. And there was sexual immorality in it sometimes. But God moved and saved a generation. Why can't he do it again? Why can't he do it again? Everybody talks about revival as if it's going to be staying in the church 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For, no, you know what revival is? It's when you, get, when you get out of the church and you grab a hold of one of these young souls with love. And through your relationship, you lead them to Jesus. And you teach them how to follow him. And if the church will accept them, even though they look different, act different, vote different, smell different, come on. If the church will accept them, then we'll truly have revival. Can I get an amen? amen. Listen, listen, we, we love people who don't look like us, think like us, act like us. And, and why I keep saying it is because it's the biggest divide in our nation right now. Vote like us. And see, here's what, cause, what causes a counterculture movement or what you would call rebellion. When there are two opposing ideas and they become so strong that it polarizes a government, a people, and a nation, the young people rise up and they cast it all off. And they're going to do, they're doing it now, Okay. And it's our fault. But they're casting it off looking for the truth. The truth isn't found in thinking like us. The truth isn't found like thinking like that other group. The truth is found in Jesus Christ. And when the salvation becomes the number one message, the number one thing that we carry in our heart, when it's the, the care for God's creation and God's people and those who don't know him, they're separated from him, then revival can come. Let me finish with this. 
They may not think like us. They may not vote like us. They may not act like us, but we love them because they are God's creation and they have a purpose in Christ. The Bible says that we were recreated in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. He knows what he's created each person to do. We're to help them discover that. Here, I'm going to give you an acronym, and, it, and, it, and it's FIRE, F-I-R-E. The next generation is bound, so we're to free them. Most of the next generation is separated from God. Only 33% follow a Christian belief. Most of them are separated from God. We're to introduce them to Jesus. And then those who grew up in the church, most of them are atrophied. Their relationship with Christ is atrophied. Do you know what I mean? Think of it like this. If I were to take a band and wrap it around my arm very tight and restricted the blood flow, what would happen to my arm? It, it, if I did it too tight, it's going to die. If I just have it restricted, it's going to shrink and the muscles aren't going to grow. And it's actually going to end up, instead of being full, full and vibrant, full and vibrant, it's, it's, it's weak. So we're to free them. Get that circulation of the Holy Spirit back in them. Get, restore that relationship. To, to, to free them, to, to restore that flow from God through Jesus to them. So that they can be everything that God created them to be. They want to make a difference. That's why they're doing what they're doing. That's why they're saying what they're saying. Because they're looking at our world. They have more information than you did about our world when, when you were their age. And they're looking and saying, what a mess. You can't decide whether or not the masks were good or the masks were bad. You guys are, every time you have somebody that rises up in power, you go ahead and try and try them in court no matter what party they're from. You guys are all about money and, and establishing a firm economy, which was more important things in life, like family and happiness and being who God created you to be. But they say it like this, I just got to be me. So we restore that relationship, help them restore that relationship with Jesus Christ. And finally, they want to make this difference. They want to make a difference. Most of Generation Z is not motivated by money. Most of Generation Z doesn't even care if they drive. I don't get it. You know, when I, when I was at age, all I want to do is get in that car and go. Now they don't care. They want to make a difference. So we need to empower them, free them, introduce them to Jesus, restore their relationship with Jesus, and empower them. That's fire. And fire brings revival. Would you pray with me this morning? Guys, I know that there's a little bit of uncomfortableness about this message. That's okay. Have you ever noticed you don't grow until you get pushed up against uncomfortable? The whole idea of growing requires effort. 
stretching hurts because it's beyond what you're used to. I'm not asking you to change what you believe politically, not at all. And I'm not asking you to, to change how you think. And, and what I'm asking you to do is just look at the future as if God has his hand on this next generation. But remember, you're part of the body of Christ. And if you're not helping this next generation, in the words of Jesus, if you're not gathering, you're scattering. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, take this message this morning. Use it. Burn it. The truth that you're trying to get across, not my words, but the truth you're trying to get across into our hearts and into our spirits. Breathe a breath of wisdom and revelation. Pour out your spirit upon everybody that's listening, everybody that's participating, everybody that's joining this morning so they can know you better, know the hope of their calling, and be filled with power to do what you're asking them to do to bring a change into this world. In the matchless name of Jesus. Everybody said? Amen.